The time is 18 minutes past four. You're tuned into PBAFM on 89.7 with Bianca. And I'd like to welcome my guest on the program, Abbot George Burke, founder and director of the Light of the Spirit Monastery in Cedar Crest, New Mexico, United States. And today is part three of our discussion. And it's about his book that uh, Abbot George has written titled The Dhammapada. You have to correct me on this one. It's the Dhammapada for Awakening, a commentary on Buddha's practical wisdom. And welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad I'm here. Now, could you just say the title of the book? Yeah, Dhammapada for Awakening. Okay, so I said it not bad. <laughs> those, you know, those uh, Sanskrit or Pali words can, uh, <laughs> can be, you know, we can uh, uh, kind of get lost in trying to pronounce them. Yes. Now, I'm so glad that you sent me this book, but I understand the book is available on Amazon in Australia in Kindle format. Yes. And um, uh, I know in America you can actually uh, order a print version. And, of course, it's also available on our website, ocoy.org. Yes. And if a person just goes there and puts in the name... um, we have it in, I think, regular format. Do we have it in PDF format? Yes. Yeah, we have it in a PDF format as well for people to download. Okay. Now, today we're talking about your book. I've got, if you could see a picture, I might actually post a picture of, I've got tickets all, I've got little sticky bits and notes all over this book. Uh, my mum did say, don't write in it, don't write in the book. <laughs> but I must say, I have written a few notes lightly in pencil. hope you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I understand that. I had an aunt who worshipped books. She was obviously a reincarnated medieval scholar. And if a person wrote in a book or turned down the corner of a page, they were in her bad books uh, much forever. (laughs) Exactly. I was in about the third year of university before I ever wrote in the book. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Well, it does help, especially well now I've got it right in front of me. So I'm just going to start off page um, page four really captured. If we do not, I'm just quoting from your book, if we do not like what is happening in our life, the solution is to alter our mind. People who like to tell of how cruel, selfish, dishonest and disloyal others habitually are to them are merely telling us how cruel, selfish, dishonest and disloyal they are. Potentially, if not actually, victims are only victimizers in a down cycle. How fascinating. Yes, and it's not an easy thing for people to accept because uh, we've just been uh, brought up with it to reflexively, unfortunately, look for a cause other than ourselves. And uh, the important thing about Buddhist teaching on karma, and by the way, don't let me uh, get too lost on these things. You know, I can be like a college professor that goes off in a tangent, so you can just rein me in at any time. Oh, thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, Very important. People tend to think of karma as some kind of vague, big force floating out in the cosmos, kind of like a comet, and every so often it just comes and strikes you. And uh, this isn't so. Karma is your mind. The great Indian, 19th century Indian teacher, Sri Ramakrishna, used to say, the mind is everything. 
and he meant it very literally, that there is a great cosmic mind, and then there's a little individual mind of ours. We're sort of like a, we're a little wave on the big ocean. And uh, when we make an action, it affects our mind. And our mind is a field of energy, and it's got all kinds of little whirls and dimples and waves and so on. And so an action puts a programming, uh, a conditioning into that field of energy. And then because everything is magnetic in the cosmos, then that vibration of the mind draws to us uh, in a corresponding situation or uh, you could again say vibration in the outer world. So if I have thief consciousness, people will steal from me. And there's a very mistaken idea of uh, karma that's like tit for tat. So I steal $50 from someone, and in the future someone steals $50 from me. And then you could say, well, at least I got rid of that karma. But you didn't. If the thief consciousness has not been erased from your mind, people will keep stealing from you. Now, if it's a tiny thief consciousness, they may be only steal, like I say, $50. But uh, that's how it works. When the mind changes, the karma changes. When the mind is purified, the karma is purified. And just like you iron out wrinkles in, a clo in clothing, you can iron out those little whirls in the waves, and then there will be no karmic reaction because that which would have produced it is gone. And that, that's very important for people to realize. They are completely in control of their life at all times. People say, oh, it just picked me up and swept me along. Mm. That's our experience, but our experience is we interpret the experience mistakenly. So that, that is, is very, very, very important. And so I've known people, I know you have too, Bianca, people that have a list of who... who who did wrong to them? Why? Well, uh, my, my mother and father didn't love me or this and that. And, and then and so-and-so came and they tried to cheat me. And that's why I'm suspicious of people because this person hurt me and that person cheated me and that person lied to me and so on. And, uh, of course, that happened. But why did it happen? Because life is a mirror. Your personal life sphere is a mirror and you're looking at yourself. And uh, that's kind of tough to do, you know? The purpose of karma is never reward or punishment. It's simple reaction. You know, in other words, if you go to some place where there's an echo, well, whatever words you call out, that's what you're going to hear back. And uh, so you look at it and say, all right, this has something to do with my thinking. But you also realize it's always for my good. Now, that's, that's not easy. With, when people we love profoundly, when they die, that grief, uh, and yet, they're, they're, you know, that grief is real, and you don't say, oh, shut up, it's just your karma. Uh, <laughs> nor do we say that to ourselves. But we realize, ultimately, there is a reason. For example, uh, I have a very good friend 
who got breast cancer, and she refused all regular treatment, and she cured herself completely by correct diet. And she gave wonderful, has been giving wonderful seminars for virtually no money at all, uh, usually $10 or $15 for uh, uh, two or three hours of information. And she works a lot with people who have had cancer and helps them uh, uh, also become cancer-free. And then she went through a period where the cancer returned. And she, of course, was shocked and uh, naturally not very thrilled. But in working the second time through of making herself cancer-free, she learned a lot of other things and other aspects of healing that she hadn't known before. So now she's even more, I'd say she's about 50% more able to help people than she was before. Now imagine the panic of thinking that cancer's returned and so on. But you see, I told her, I said, don't worry. This is happening because when you're finished with it, you're going to help people much better than you uh, did before. And that's how it's working out. A lot of people believe that everything happens for a reason. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. It all has a purpose. It's never just so-called blind karmic force just coming up from behind and and slapping you in the back of the head. (laughs) Nor is it God. There is a real purpose. But again, if we won't see it that way, um, it's sort of like, say someone has a speech, speech difficulty, comes up and speaks to you, and it's hard for you to understand. Well, if you're a very kind of abrupt person, you may just say, I'll shut up, you know, I can't understand you. Or we can say, excuse me, speak a little slower, and let me fix my mind on it to understand. And that's the way it is with life. See, our problem is we react, uh, usually at an emotional kind of level, again, a very childish level, unfortunately, and we don't say, all right, what am I being told? And that's very important, Bianca. I tell you, there was someone in my life, uh, even in my childhood for some years, that it was like their mission in life was to make my life a hell, and they certainly succeeded. And uh, this went on and on, and fortunately, I discovered, you know, karma, reincarnation, evolution of consciousness, and uh, read some on it, and it was very interesting. I looked at that person one day and realized that the old hymn, Near My God to Thee, says, even though it be a cross that raises me. And I thought, this is a cross that raised me. And anyway, in time... Uh, that person and I came to love each other profoundly, absolutely profoundly. And that person's life changed. No one liked that person. That person had not a friend in the world because they were so malicious and so embittered and spiteful. And uh, everything just turned around. And they became gentle and kind and had loads of friends and 
people were just amazed, and they said to me, we can't believe the change. And what was interesting, you see, first, my change helped that person change. Yes. It's, it's very, see, it works, Bianca. The wonderful thing about authentic uh, truth, philosophy, is you can prove it. You, you can show it. And, uh, and we're not used to that. We're used to theory. Mm. We're used to talk. We're not used to the fact that you can get busy and change it. I mean, and people do, and I've known people who've done that. And again, I've known people who, whose lives were maybe disorganized, confused, and, and so on. And uh, that all turned around. As soon as they began working on themselves, as soon as they saw it's not somebody out there, mm. it isn't even something out there, and it isn't even some situation out there, it's me. And that doesn't mean you blame yourself, because think, we've come up through how many lives. We can't count the lives. That's one of the reasons Buddha said that you should have a friendly or loving attitude toward everyone, uh, because he said everyone, we live so many lives, that everyone at some time has been dear to us. And for that very reason, uh, we can think, at one time, this was someone close to me. And so we do it, and it's wonderful. When... Uh, when we change, then the whole universe changes for us. And I think that message of unconditional love, because many times uh, love and friendship or relationships, business or friendship, there's conditions attached to it. So I think that there's something really powerful about what you were saying, that you offered that unconditional friendship and you were very, you came from a good place and then that rubbed off on that person. Yes, I've once read... Um an article by a man that, I mean, he'd been a real criminal. Uh, he hadn't gotten the death sentence and hadn't gotten the life sentence. But he was, uh, you know, pretty big in gang life and theft and uh, pr pretty pretty negative stuff. And uh, he was just like everybody else was, mostly in the prison, like, you know, I'm here because the judge sent me here, or I'm here because... You know, the, the police had it in for me and all this. So, of course, he never changed and everything was miserable. And he was ready to be paroled. He was going to be released in the prison. And, uh, you know, he went to speak to the warden, and as they all did. And uh, he was kind of armored against anybody getting through to him. But at one point, the warden looked at him and who was, by the way, a very positive person, and he said to him, please understand this thing, I care. Mm -hmm. And it just went right into him. And, and, and all of a sudden, and it kind of shook him awake. Yes, I care. I don't care about other people, but this man does care, and he truly does. And if I need help, I know I can get it from him. And he thought, well, this ought to happen more. And luckily, instead of saying more people ought to say this to me, he thought, that's how I should be to others. So, see, the wonderful thing about it, Bianca, is we are sleeping angels and even more sleeping gods. 
And when we awake, that, that godness, which, of course, is the very, what the very word goodness means, you know, mm. and like we say goodbye, but really it was God by you, God be with you. Right. And then we understand this. Yogananda said in his autobiography, a person who finds that they, for some reason, cannot believe in God can come to know their own divinity when they really turn inside. Okay, that's my sermon for the moment. <laughs> so everyone has that godlike state within them. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, you can uh, ha a treasure can be buried hundreds of feet down in the ground. So you don't see it. Somebody uh, took you to where it had been buried and said, well, the treasure's right here. you say, oh, yes, well, where? Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd have to dig, and you'd get very bored in digging and uh, lose hope. you say, it can't be down this deep, but it can. I, when I was uh, just in my beginning teens, I, I read something in a magazine and just had a little quote that said, often in a wooden house, a golden room we find. And I thought, that's the secret. I need to look for the golden room, not just in myself, but in every person I meet. And as you remember your school experiences, there's a lot of people you felt you could have lived without knowing. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to look for the golden room because it's there, it's innate. Uh, let me, I'd like to tell you a story, actually, from uh, New York City. Just before you continue that one, don't forget it, the story from New York City. I just want to say also, I just really want to raise this point of guilt and shame because a lot of pe this holds a lot of people back. We're talking about people having that godlike state within them and we can all access that. But I think we need to just also mention the point that people need to accept that they deserve happiness because guilt and shame holds people back and they almost imprison themselves. So how can people allow themselves to feel great in their lives and move forward towards enlightenment? Well, you know, uh, a lot of people who have worked with uh, mental healing have said the first step is the uh, recognition and since you could even say the admission that there is a problem. Mm. You see, that's very interesting. See, Buddha uh, taught what are called the four, the four principal truths, and in it it said there is suffering, and then it says suffering has a cause. Next principle: suffering can be ended. Fourth, there's a way to end suffering. Now, those are very simple little sentences, but they mean amazing things. So, first we have to say, I did wrong. That was not right. That was not kind, or that was not honest. It was not truthful. And then you don't say, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. No, the action may be terrible, but mm. you aren't terrible. Oh, that's, that's a great point. Yes, it's very important for a person to realize. But you say, all right, I can do better. It's just like if you take a course in school and you get a lousy grade, you don't say, well, that's it, I'm stupid. Mm. Uh, you say, well, I'm going to have to do better than I did. And that's the thing. 
everybody can do better. When we know better, we do better. Yeah, and they do, and they do better. When you realize, okay, fine, it's sort of like if you wanted to be a sculptor and you, you started making a sculpture and something went wrong, let's say you got impatient, you gave it a whack, and then <laughs> you marred it. So, okay, back to the drawing board, so to speak, and you, and you do it again. And uh, it doesn't mean that perfection will happen tomorrow. But, so you have to be patient with yourself. But that means if, to be genuinely patient with yourself, you've got to be patient with others. Actually, I've read this. This was written by um, a policeman who told about, you know, he'd seen so much crime, and especially among even the young people, that naturally he'd become cynical and disgusted and, and tend to think, oh, you know, the, the, the nuts to all of them, and they're all no good, and they're just thugs, and the sooner we put them in jail, the better he had that attitude. And this happened in the uh, 40s, I think. And um, so anyway, there was this one, uh, what we call, they call now juvenile offenders, who was a repeat offender, they knew about. That young man's uh, sister was in some accident, lost a lot of blood. She desperately needed blood transfusion. And uh, this was, uh, things are pretty primitive back then compared to the way they are now. They didn't have a stock of the right kind of blood, and so the policeman knew about her brother and called him to come to the hospital. The brother came to the hospital, and the policeman said to him, Look, your sister desperately needs a blood transfusion, okay? And uh, will you give it to her? And he said, Yes, sure. So anyway, uh, you know, they uh, took, took the blood and then, you know, we're going to give her the transfusion. And to his amazement, uh, the boy said, well, when do I croak? Uh, you know, that means when do I die in New Yorkese. And he realized that this boy thought that by giving the blood that, that it would kill him, that Gee. he would die of it. And he hadn't hesitated a moment to say he would do it for his sister. So he realizes... <laughs> This boy is, is, is loving, he's noble, he's unselfish, and uh, all these other problems, they're like a veneer. But obviously this boy beneath has all these qualities that, that are admirable. And it really helped him change his attitude toward the, the ju so-called juvenile offenders that he worked with. And this is really true. We can see in people's lives. You know, sometimes we'll know someone, they're just grumpy to everybody. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're rude to everybody. But then they have a cat or a dog, and they just love the dog and love the dog and love the cat. And a lot of people just sit and say, well, look at that. They're mean to everybody else, but they like that dog. Well, that means they've got a capacity for love. And it can turn out then to other, be turned toward other people. So what's your advice to people that do come across others that are like this, that not not very happy or don't say hello or not just not a team player, just making things difficult? How do people deal with someone like that? I mean, you gave the example before, but just to 
hear it again because I know a lot of us experience this and it's just good to reiterate this point. Well, to remember to not react, even if you react inwardly, you know, a way, you know, because you don't like what's going on, Mm -hmm. you just be calm. And, you know, you you can literally talk to people in your mind. After all, we're all connected. That's true. All of life, the whole universe is just one field of energy, which ultimately is consciousness. And you can literally whether you're with them or while well, you're right in the, uh, you know, looking at them, you can, you can talk to them and you can say, I'm your friend and I love you. I have no enmity for you. Again, don't expect this to work in five minutes. Are you saying but to say that in words or say in your mind or both? Just in your mind. Just, in your mind, yeah. just look and say, okay. unfortunately, there are negative people... <laughs> I have experience with this, um, and so do some other people I've known. There have been some people I've met in my life that they walk into a room and their purpose is to cause a problem mm. or to, to be, uh, bring confusion and so on. And uh, there are some people who just sit around when they see someone who's positive. Their reaction is, well, now I'm going to get them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suffer from that some when I was, you know, just pretty young. And then one time I thought, you know, I've had enough of this, because that's it also, Bianca. A lot of stuff we think is positive isn't necessarily the wisest. And so, for example, you don't want to interfere with a person's life and will. But if you see somebody that's, that's, that's trying to, to drink poison, it's not a bad idea to try to stop it. So anyway... <laughs> One of these people, I'd learned to recognize them. They came in the room. They sat down right next to me. There was a group of us talking. And I looked at the person in my mind. I said, I know what you are, and I know what you're here for. Mm. And they stood up and left instantly. Jeez. And I've told a couple of people to do that to people that were troubling them. Because, you know, Bianca, there are some people that it isn't yet the time for them to wake up and get healed. That's right. And uh, it's always worked. One, one, one that I know that worked in a, in a bookstore, actually a metaphysical bookstore, and had a manager whose purpose in life seemed to make all the employees miserable. And I mentioned that to her. I said, look, that's what you do. So I saw her <laughs> a couple of weeks later. She said, the very next day I came in, and work, the woman started in, and she said, I did what you said. I looked at her very calmly. And I said, I know what you really are, and I know what you're trying to do. She said she turned and walked out. She's disappeared. No one has seen her in all this time. She hasn't come back to work. And and I'll just reiterate that for the listener. This is the person saying that in their mind, not saying it out loud. Yeah, saying it in their mind. That's amazing. You can do it in a positive way. Of course. And and you, you just say, prayer, for example. We say, well, what does prayer do, et cetera? Well, again, prayer is a way you can send positive thoughts to a person. Prayer is a way you can get, you can pray. I mean, I experienced this even when I was in grade school. Kids that were just really miseries. And what I did is I prayed a lot for them. And then sometimes we became very good friends. Because, so, see, we're all very intuitive. 
every one of us. And when we have a genuine feeling of, uh, of goodwill toward another person, they can pick it up. Now, let me just put a footnote. There are some people, they're so habituated to negativity, mm-hmm. just, you know, so conditioned themselves. Sometimes they may come around us because they know we have a positive attitude toward them, and they'll still be rude because they, they're trapped, uh, at least at that time in their life, they're trapped in negative patterns. And so they come around, they're rude to us, etc. and we think, why did they come around me if all they wanted to do was tell me I was an idiot or mm. something like that? But it's, uh, I read a book by a man, a uh, very interesting uh, psychic, and he said that he had learned that when people came up to him and were very rude to him even and challenged him and basically said, you're wrong, you're crazy, and so on, that it was a cry for help. And that he, that's how he would respond. How do I help this person right now? How do I speak to them? So slowly, slowly, things can open up for them. And it really works. It really works. And again, it may not work today or tomorrow, but eventually it, it will work. 